Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, well, very pleasant uh, good morning to you. This is Patrick Timpone. And just a little technical delay, but we're all, we're all set to go here. If you'd like to be on the show this morning, you can call and talk to Dr. Thomas Levy. Uh, we always like to talk to cardiologists because keep our ticker going. He's a good one. Uh, 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Patrick at oneradionetwork.com. In a couple of hours, we're going to be speaking to a gentleman in on the West Coast. He should just get awards just for being there. Robert Ritzman. And uh, we're going to be talking about freedom issues, uh, the law, some interesting news about the Federal Reserve Central Bank, and and maybe some more creative ways to protect yourself from some of the, whoever these people are that want to, uh, you know, kill us and whatever. Uh, so that'll be coming up in a couple of hours. Speaking of the law, we generally don't allow attorneys to be on the show, but since he, we've known him for a long time, we allow him <laughs> to do it. Dr. Thomas Levy, he's also an attorney, cardiologist, and he's written lots and lots of books. His, um, you know, you look at your at your your resume there, and Dr. Levy, you you do a lot of work with articles and publications, and you have for a long time. I mean, you're a busy guy. Well, trying to try to stay pertinent and relevant, and try to make a contribution. Yes, Patrick. Wow. Yeah. Um, of course, the, the big news everywhere, except in the media, right, is what these injections are doing to people, the cardiac, you know. So walk us through what you see as a cardiologist is going on with these injections. Well, as a cardiologist and just as a physician, what's going on in the simplest terms is we're seeing many, many, many people now with what I call persistent spike protein syndrome. The spike protein coming from the COVID pathogen and the spike protein also coming from the vaccines. Uh, Now, somebody can debate as to how much of what source causes what, but there's no question that it's the persistent spike protein, whether it's from a long bout of COVID over which you didn't really get over completely or whether it's due to the injections. There's certainly a very large number of articles in the medical literature now documenting direct temporal association between developing these problems uh, after uh, one or more vaccine injections. But again, the issue of how much is still open to uh, discussion and debate. Now with that in mind, what the spike protein does is there are many binding sites called ACE2 receptors throughout the body, all the tissues, all the organs, all the blood vessels. And when you get a a large amount of spike protein in the body, uh, it binds to these receptors uh, and then allows itself to get inside the cell and be replicated. And this is also how the COVID pathogen gets inside the cell is by the spike protein. So the idea of the vaccines, the idea I emphasize, was that let's get the spike protein out there so you can make an immune response to the spike protein and then 
hopefully an immune response to the COVID pathogen. As it turns out, for whatever reason, there's a large number of people that are unable to, after the initial exposure to the spike protein from the vaccine or from the COVID infection, they're unable to process it completely and get it out of their body. Uh, and this is a very nasty event because the spike protein also serves as a toxin. And any toxin is bad for you, but it's even worse when that toxin can replicate itself. I mean, what could be worse, say, get, than getting a dose of mercury or some other toxin where the first dose is not the total dose? It's going to continue to manufacture itself as time goes on. So that's the worst possible scenario for any toxin is to have one that can propagate itself. Okay, that's the baseline, spike protein. With regard to the heart, we're seeing a substantially large number of cases of myocarditis. Uh, myo, muscle, card, heart, itis, inflammation. So myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle. <clears throat> and it's coming from the spike protein directly going into the cells of the heart. It's also coming from the spike protein binding many of the tinier blood vessels in the heart, causing them to have increased coagulability and blood clotting. So we now have a lot of people, I can't give you a figure, but I can say it's a lot, far, far, far beyond what should ever be tolerated as a reasonable side effect against the vaccine yeah. if there is such an issue. A huge amount but of a, people, huge. A, a large number of people, they're chronically ill, and the thing about the heart is you're really having the spike protein exposure throughout your body. Because remember, I said there is everywhere. But as it turns out, <clears throat> the heart has its own unique blood test, the troponin level, that tells you whether or not you're getting destruction of the heart cells from inflammation. It releases this protein in the blood and you measure it. The other organs, the brain, the pancreas, the liver, etc., they don't have this marker test. So we concentrate on the heart because we see these elevations of troponin, but it's very reasonable to extrapolate that in the fact that <clears throat> anybody who's sick with myocarditis after spike protein exposure is also sick in many other ways because the spike protein is not just going to limit itself to binding to the heart it's just that the heart has this one test that allows us to imply that the spike protein is present throughout the body hmm. <clears throat> the problem with this is before the pandemic myocarditis was very 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 rare and it was just a case where if you contracted the wrong virus at the wrong time uh, and you had the wrong genetics the virus attacked your heart caused inflammation and quite simply medicine doesn't have much for it it was a case of hoping your immune system rides it out gets rid of the virus and you survive some people get heart damage at a certain level other people get so much heart damage they go into heart failure and die but very rare i mean i practiced for 15 years in three different communities I uh, had a lot of referrals to me, and during that period of time, I saw one case of myocarditis, one. Now, 
any cardiologist with an active practice is seeing a substantially large number. It's not, it's not uncommon at all. And unfortunately, it's affecting young people. The other complicating factor, too, is the virus likes to attack the spike protein. We're going to the other type of myocarditis, which is the COVID pandemic myocarditis because of the spike protein. That's completely different because there's no foreign agent like the spike protein available that's uh, present. There's no attacking the blood vessels like there is now. And so what we have now is for the tools that we have, much more difficult to overcome. Uh, we've put together some protocols that I feel uh, work very well, uh, and hopefully those will get uh, enough publicity down the road that people won't be quite so desperate as they are now, because I can tell you the standard measures for myocarditis that uh, quote-unquote modern medicine and modern cardiology have to offer is not doing much. Hmm. It's not doing much at all. Dr. Levy, as you know, there is a great many people now suggesting that the whole spike protein and the whole myocarditis issue is from the vaccines, from the injections. That's a lot of people are saying that. A lot of well-credentialed people are saying that. Um, what is? How can one explain, if you're a germ theory person, which obviously you are, you believe there's a virus out there. Many don't but some do, um, many do, some don't, let me put it that way, that this virus, whatever it was, came out and it had something different, new, that's never been before. They had something in this virus that was a spike protein. We've never seen a virus like that. How could that happen? Well, I, I have no contacts in China, or no contacts in Wuhan, so I can't tell you how this thing started. Uh, I know there's lots of opinions out there. Uh, uh, mine is uh, not a very uh, encouraging one with regard to this being uh, accidental versus intent. But that's really beyond the, aside from the point right now, we have it and we need to deal with it. Let me say this, one quick address about the... <laughs> We have the non-vaxxers, then we have the non-virusers, okay? Yes, we do. I don't care whether the virus or a virus exists or not. So let's just say we have a disease-causing agent. Okay. okay, fair enough. People are clearly getting a disease. Fair enough. It can kill them, etc. cetera. Uh, but so many people get tied up on this. If you say the word virus, then they completely negate anything you have to say, which is asinine, Okay. Whether it's a virus, whether it's something else, whether it's God knows was what. was injected or whatever. Right. It makes people sick. It kills them. It makes them chronically ill. Uh, and we're developing protocols to deal with that. Is it wiping out a virus? I don't know. It's reversing the damage and it's preventing future damage and it's helping negate whatever the pathogen-inducing agent is. Fair enough. Now, you mentioned something earlier, and I will say this my opinion on the vaccine causing it versus long-haul COVID is definitely long-haul COVID causes it and can cause it. But everything in medicine and pathology has to do with dose and amount. Hmm. And you get such an astronomically larger 
uh, hit, if you will, of spike protein with a vaccine, that it makes it highly likely, and it's my suspicion, my personal conviction, that the vast majority of uh, chronic spike protein syndromes, myocarditis, all the other things. I mean, we're seeing every organ in the body affected. Hmm. People with brain fog, wow. having problem with memory, having seizures, neurological syndromes, new onset diabetes, every problem you can imagine. And that's like I said, because the spike protein receptors are everywhere in the body. So, uh, and also, it's very important for people who have, shall we say, gotten their first one or two uh, injections and they're doing okay they feel fine well make yourself aware of what's going on because it would be my strongest advice to my goodness avoid a booster a booster is just more hmm. gasoline on the smoldering coal well, so many individuals they do well the first two but like I said dose 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 there's a lot that your immune system can deal with as long as a certain dose exposure stays below a certain level. But when you blast it with a new uh, hit of spike protein, as you do with a booster, uh, the, the messenger RNA is designed, designed to make more spike protein. So uh, yes, uh, I think the literature and the evidence right now is booster injections should be avoided like the plague. And of course, we now finally have, incredibly enough, blows me away, uh, profoundly positive pro-vaxxers, okay, like, um, oh gosh, his name just slipped me, the uh, the, pediat the guy in pediatrics, and he just, uh, Paul Offit. Paul Offit, yeah, He's we know him. Very, very, very pro-vaccine, and even now he has said, wait a second, writes an editorial to the New England Journal of Medicine, says, we got to stop vaccinating kids. So even he realizes the benefit-risk ratio, if there is a significant benefit, right. the benefit-risk ratio is vastly exceeded uh, in, the, in the young adult uh, and teenager and adolescents and child uh, subset of the population. This uh, term, spike protein, uh, I'd like to understand what that is. Would this have to be created in a laboratory? I mean, no, no. Would I nature mean, just are, come uh, up with a no, spike protein? There can be or something. There can be modifications, but the whole concept of the spike protein is: you see all these little three D cartoons right. of the of the coronavirus, and it looks like a little porcupine. Right. Okay, and each one of those porcupine spears is spike protein, and it's designed to attach, and then it releases an enzyme, and the enzyme dissolves the uh, the outer coat or spot where you have a cell, and then breaks it up and allows the whole thing to get in. I mean, all viruses have, uh, again, if you want to, mm -hmm. <laughs> if, right. if you want to allow me to use the word virus, I'm with you. Okay, <laughs> uh, all viruses have cell entry mechanisms. And I got to say this, just got to throw this out there. Okay, viruses have been seen under the electron microscope. This is not, uh, you might want to call it something else. Maybe you don't like the word, but there are uh, infinitesimal images seen on electron microscopes on 
cells, inside cells, going into cells. So unlike, say, an electron or a proton, which nobody has ever seen, yet we talk about it all the time, uh, viruses have been visualized. Okay, so again. But, but let me again, just interject that the, may, the I people, get, I, I understand. Would, we don't want to go yeah. deep down in that hole. And I, okay, and I, sure. I agree with you, but... As you know, the people, you probably know the Lockers and the Cowans and the Kaufmans and all these people, Mike Stone, right. out there, they conjecture that this thing has never been isolated, and I think they've proven it pretty well that it has not been isolated, ever, a pure virus. Well, no, they might right. not have isolated this one, but they're maintaining viruses don't exist. Yeah, that's exactly not right. Just, not just COVID viruses, right. they there's no such yeah, thing. Yeah, they, the they say the whole yeah. germ theory thing is just a scam yeah. from day one. Right. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so this spike protein, God is it good. So, you, how do you, and you're in the field, how do you even know what to believe, who to believe? And I mean, are there, are there really third party, uh, neutral folks out there wanting to find the truth of this thing? Or does everybody have a dog in? You know, when I you know what I mean, a dog in the game, a hunt in the game, whatever that term is. Do you know what I'm saying? How do you even yeah, know? Profi- profoundly important question. Yes, sir. No doubt about it. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at the fact that the mainstream press literally lies to their teeth about everything, whatever it is they want you to believe, they tell you. I mean, I have no idea what's going on in the world. I have no idea what's going on in Ukraine. Right. I have no idea because. They're telling us what we want to know. Now, I suspect there's a war going on, but I've never been over there. I've never seen it. Sometimes they use pictures of one thing to show you something else. Point being is, if you're relying on mainstream media, you're you're completely in the dark about everything. Everything. Uh, the thing that I'm talking about here is, and this is the only way I know of, of uh, trying to increase your knowledge base, is by always sampling multiple different diverse sources from groups that have different interests and don't have vested interests in the information. And when you start to see the same piece of information coming in in different sources, you start to gradually put together, at least in the case of COVID, what you consider to be the scientific truth. But any one article, any one source, pretty much always needs corroboration. Absolutely. And it's very, very difficult not to be able to just not to be able to just trust something that is published in the scientific literature because unfortunately we have enormous documentations of uh, not a, not just poor design study, but outright lying, outright fraud. Hmm presenting certain points of view for the benefit of a different corporation. So it's tough. It, and it makes it makes a tough job tougher. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Yeah. Dr. Thomas Levy is with us, Patrick Timpone, One Radio Network. So you have a, which book talks to people who have had maybe one or two of these injections and things that they can do? Which, which book is that? Well, the best book for that is Rapid Virus Recovery. Rapid Virus Recovery, okay. But more specifically, and people can feel free to email me, and uh, not for consultations, <laughs> but email me for the the information sources that we talked about. 
uh, and I can send them links to a number of much more recently written articles that I put together on this particular uh, topic uh, that I think allows people to get effective therapy for their, uh, like I said before, I'll just call them persistent spike protein syndromes, right. regardless of where the spike protein has come from. Uh, and uh, we've been starting these protocols, and right now we're seeing some very, very good results. Uh, too soon to say uh, this resolves this this period of time, but I think we're going to end up seeing a high resolution, a high percentage of the time, even on patients with uh, advanced conditions. <laughs> you know, we're, we're presently getting a great response on a young lady who's been sick for a year and a half. 25 years old, started 18 hours after her Moderna injection wow. uh, with chest pain, shortness of breath, and everything else. Uh, and now she's responding very nicely. She's been on mainstream medicine therapy for a year and a half. It hasn't gotten a lick better. Okay, so uh, we are starting to confirm what we've always felt would be the case when we were able to finally start initiating these protocols. Mm -hmm. So are these protocols helping the body, Dr. Levy, to get rid of this spike protein from the injection or wherever? Is that what it's yeah. doing? Yes, it's actually, it's, it's, it's a um, kind of, I guess you could call it a three-prong or several-prong uh, fold. Uh, it involves stimulating and supporting the immune system, mm -hmm. okay, which, uh, and it involves agents that will inactivate the virus or agent in the blood it will inhibit or stop the attachment at the receptor sites uh, and it will inhibit or kill the virus or agent inside the cell hmm. all right another part of the protocol eradicates the agent that typically colonizes in the nose and throat which allows the continued propagation of that agent throughout the body uh, and we also have a host of uh, easily obtainable, common uh, digestive and other enzyme type preparations that have been documented to physically dissolve the spike protein where it encounters it in the blood uh, and in the tissue fluids. So all of this is designed, the, the main focus of it is very high dose, very high dose, intravenous vitamin C, hmm along with the body's natural corticosteroid, which is high cortisol or hydrocortisone. We're not talking about prednisone or any of these synthetic sledgehammer steroids that do so much more than you want them to do. We're talking about the natural agent that's released by your adrenal glands. When you take that in combination with an IV of 50 to 75 grams of vitamin C wow. intravenously, you start to get large amounts of vitamin C inside these infected cells, and then the magic happens, okay? We've known a lot about the good properties of vitamin C for a long time, but even people that use vitamin C are still too damn shy. They'll use two grams, five grams, maybe 10 grams. We're talking vastly larger than that, and we're talking about having had the documentation that these type of doses have been used for 40 years and have never harmed anybody. <laughs> so, How do you so take that, that much vitamin C approach. without pooping all day? 
How, how that's did, oral. That's oral, Patrick. That's oh, not intravenous. Oh, that's not intravenous. Oh, right. Wow. Wow. Interesting. So you can just shoot a rider in the blood, and the body can absolutely. That's amazing. Very good. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Is that what an IV gets you? About fifty grams, or? Yeah, fifty grams. Well, it's whatever you put into it. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. uh, fifty to hundred grams, depending on the body size. Huh. I have a quick story for you. I think you'll appreciate being a vitamin C guy. This was about 15, 20 years ago. I had a root canal, and you're you're really up on the whole tooth thing, and we can talk about it, because you were deep with Dr. Huggins years ago, right? Anyway, I had a root canal that was going south before I understood that root canals were dangerous. and Before you understood that they had gone south from the start. Exactly, exactly. Right. So I was driving along, and one day... And all of a sudden, my right eye went completely blurry. It just went boom. Yeah, boom. Okay. I pulled in. That's scary. Always. That's scary. I pulled into a, uh, you know, someone that looks at your eyes. Uh, not a doctor, but what do they call them? Um, optometrist. Optometrist. Pulled in, and this was like a god thing. He says, "Well, I don't. I can't do this because this is something's going on. But here's a card. I know this opto- top doctor. What do you call him? Opt." You got it. Ophthalmologist. Here's his card. I know this guy. Go see him. I drove right right over there. This fellow turned out to be a really renegade in the the world, and they were always after Uh him for doing these things. He immediately put me on vitamin C IVs. I want you in here every day, Patrick, for the next 10 days. Otherwise, you're going to lose your eye. And I get goosebumps when I think about it. How How could God have sent me over there like that? Boom. And I did. That was fortuitous. Oh, yes. fortuitous. Every day. Least. Every day. And I didn't yeah. lose my eye. It's still a little bit blurry today, but wow. Hey, what a trip, huh? That somebody knew this. I mean, what kind of, what does vitamin C do at this level in the body? Do we understand the mechanism? I mean, how this thing saved my eye? Well, what causes disease, all disease is simple. Resolving it is much more complex. What causes all disease is too much oxidation and too little antioxidation. By that I mean oxidation oxidation means the loss of electrons from a biomolecule. So when you have a toxin, a pro-oxidant, that's what causes all disease because it takes electrons away from biomolecules. And when you take enough electrons from enough different biomolecules, that is disease. Hmm. Oxidative stress doesn't cause disease. Oxidative stress is the disease. You have nothing disease-wise going on in any sick cell other than the unique array of DNA, protein, sugars, uh, etc., fats, enzymes that are oxidized and not functioning well or at all. They're normal biochemical function and where they are how concentrated they are that determines the disease process so this is why vitamin c for one thing will neutralize the clinical toxicity of any toxin now think about that i mean you have hundreds of thousands maybe millions of toxins i'm not going to say vitamin c has been checked against every one of them but there's never been a toxin for which it's been checked where it hasn't neutralized it. Hmm. So you have so you have hundreds of thousands of different chemical structures 
and you have one molecule able to neutralize the toxicity of all those different structures. How is that possible? The only answer to that is they all have to have and exert their toxicity by a final common denominator, and that's oxidation, which vitamin C can directly neutralize when it encounters the toxin, hmm. or it can go into the tissue after the toxin has done its oxidative damage and donate an electron and restore that biomolecule to normal. So that's why vitamin C has such a uniquely uh, salutary function, if you will. And any antioxidant can do this in terms of donating electron, but vitamin C is best at it because it's a small molecule, it donates two electrons rather than one electron per molecule, it gets in every area of the body, every tissue. It's closely similar in structure to glucose, so it uses the glucose transporters to get inside the cell. It gets in high concentration in the brain. Everything, the thing that's important about an antioxidant is not so much its antioxidant power, how quickly or readily does it donate the electron, as to how readily does it get where it needs to go. Physical access. You know, an, anti, an antioxidant doesn't help you if the toxin or the oxidized biomolecule is here. It only helps you when the two molecules get together gotcha. and the electron can be donated. Wow. wow. And vitamin wow. C does that. Does it? Absolutely. In, in, in the case of the root canal, the doc actually showed me where my tooth was tied into the eye, the, the same tooth, you know. So we, we kind of knew... We knew it was the... the they have old-time studies. Yeah. Not, that they're, not that the information is old, but I think they looked at some, and I'm talking old, like early 1900s, late 1800s, where they were able to show that some 25 different eye conditions, or 20 different, most of them, <clears throat> could all be connected to mouth infections. Wow. Wow. This is way back. They had this. Way back. They've known and suppressed this information for a very long time. Just like vitamin C has been around for 80 years, but you still can't get an arrogant intensive care unit physician to use it and save his or her patient. It's not part of the general practice thing where they're allowed to do it? Not not part of their protocol? Right, not right. part of their protocol. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, but these days, there's so much information available, and especially when family members bring articles, bring another physician that, that has said, uh, this is how I do this, and you have an agent like vitamin C that's inexpensive, highly effective, and non-toxic. The physician has the responsibility of due diligence. If they're not familiar with it, they need to familiarize themselves with it, get off their butt, do some reading, look at the literature. But bottom line is, when the articles are delivered to the physician mm. at the intensive care unit, and he or she says no, when the patient dies, that doctor needs to go to jail for the minimum of involuntary manslaughter. Whoa, that's pretty strong. They have a they have a duty to to look into it when they're they presented. They have a duty. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. I thought they just did the standard of care thing and got away with it. Use that as their buffer. 
Well, if we ever, I don't wish anybody harm, but uh, some billionaire's son needs to get knocked off by these uh, son of a guns. Yes, sir. And uh, and then take it to the max in the court. Yes. Okay, <clears throat> because all these are simple, straightforward principles in law. My lawyer side, even as a general practicing lawyer you're advised that you can take up any legal case of any kind that you want legitimately and responsibly as long as you exert your due diligence to bring yourself up to snuff hmm. on whatever branch of law might be involved. Very interesting. Dr. Thomas Levy is with us. Did you, have you seen the story of uh, Dr. Bhakti? You know, Bhakti is out there. You know, Do you know him in Europe? Um, no name doesn't ring. About he's been on the no. show a couple times. Well, to your to your point, there a princess in Thailand, where Doctor Bhakti is from, reacted to the injection and mm-hmm. is dying. And he's over there now, and the Thai, Thai government is getting up to speed on how dangerous these things are. And oh, the, I saw just this morning an article on that. I didn't get a chance to, to read yeah, it in depth. that's going so, on. So maybe we are have the billionaire kicking ass now. <laughs> right, maybe. yeah. When somebody important, you know, this right. see, a princess, you know how they have all these princesses like in Thailand. And she, There has to be a lot of money involved ooh, and a man. lot of elitism, but that's what it takes to set the president fine. Yeah, well, that's what it takes. <clears> that's right. Dr. Levy, stay right there. My name is Patrick Timponi. This is OneRadioNetwork.com. You can go to Dr. Levy's uh, website. It is Peak uh, Energy. Um, I think it is Peak Energy. Yeah, it's Peak Energy. <laughs> Peak Energy. I just get confused. But let me show you his book. And, and he offered you that you can send an email and he can he can send you some stuff. He doesn't do consultations, but um, you can get his book, Rapid Virus Recovery, if you've had one of these shots or two. And look at that, and then you can also email him, and we'll get the email uh, from him before we leave this morning. This is OneRadioNetwork.com. We, uh, you know, we've heard so many things over the years about these electromagnetic fields, and there's, you know, it's a black hole is when you try to figure out how they really affect the body and how they don't. Uh, we just do what we can and try to figure out uh, ways that we can protect from these things. Here's a technology that comes out of uh, Australia that we've been promoting for a very long time, and it works. It works on the cells in the body. It doesn't block electromagnetic fields, cell phone towers, Wi-Fi. doesn't do that. you got to go into a Faraday cage and do that, but it's tough to make a living if you're in a Faraday cage. But anyway, this technology is cool, and I think it's really worth, uh, worth your consideration. Previously, we were talking with Brandon about the Blue Shield EMF device, and he says it goes out 90 yards in all directions. It's an omnidirectional field that if you think about a huge sphere that's expanding, that's that's essentially what the waveform pattern looks like. Oh, that's cool. So it's putting frequencies into the body, and then how does that work in relation to electromagnetic field that's coming in, in the walls and the windows through a cell phone tower down the street? Yeah, so the cell repeaters and Wi-Fi and all this electromagnetic radiation in, in, the, um, in the environment, people mistakenly think that this is somehow going to act like a shield and block the radiation and make it not appear on any kind of tri-field meter or any measuring device. And that's simply not the case. It's more of a, an energy medicine, so to speak, where it's, it's stimulating the bodies at the cellular level to create a cellular response to make all the individual cells much stronger and more 
able to adapt to the EMF stressors. So that's number one on the physical or the somatic level where the body is experiencing a decrease in stress from electromagnetic fields. If you're interested, you can click on the Blue Shield ad on the front page of One Radio Network. Use promo code One Radio, or also contact Brandon through his website there when you click, and he'll give you more information. Front page Blue Shield EMF protection device on OneRadioNetwork.com. Uh, hydrogen is a very interesting technology that we've been using for, gosh, over over three, three and a half years now. The machine we promote is called Holy Hydrogen. It's a great name. Uh, this is technology out of Japan. Japan probably is the number one hydrogen uh, people in the world. They, they've been using it for a long time. They've done more research and working with hydrogen, molecular hydrogen, than anybody on uh, the earth plane. Somehow they just got onto it. So this machine is, is using Japanese technology. There is no maintenance. You don't have to clean it out. Uh, it it's, um, also has an opportunity so you can buy it on time. But they advertise or they promote the idea, speaking of oxidation, that hydrogen is like the all-time antioxidant ever. I don't know how it compares to vitamin C, but it's, it's really interesting technology. You breathe the gas and you drink the water, you make the water, the, um, the hydrogen pills, tablets that you put in water, I don't want to speak badly about it, uh, other people, but these have been proven, they're very, very low, low level, they're pretty wimpy when it comes to the amount of hydrogen. When you make hydrogen water in this machine, you get some really saturated hydrogen water, you can drink on an empty stomach, and then you breathe the gas as much as you want, um, uh, molecular hydrogen. They actually use molecular hydrogen in, in ambulances in in um, Japan. Do you know that? Yeah, I read that. They do. I don't know if they even use oxygen anymore. I think they're just using hydrogen. A lot of people say that oxygen is not the best thing in the world, pure oxygen. But anyway, this is a cool technology. You can get the machine. You can um, pay for it over 12 months if you like. It's very easy. Last four digits of your social, boom, you got it. They'll send you the hydrogen machine, and once a month, you pay for it. And that's another reason we switched to this machine, because of the the option to pay on time, because nobody, well, not nobody, but some most people don't have $2,500 just lying around with nothing to do these days. So it's a pretty cool thing. The Holy Hydrogen Machine, it's on OneRadioNetwork.com. Molecular Hydrogen, we think it's really... Uh, the, the best one out there, and that's why we're promoting this one now. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. With Dr. Thomas Levy, cardiologist. So, uh, these spike proteins, uh, what exactly are they doing to the heart muscles? Are they causing inflammation? And this is this myocarditis that we see the the videos of all these people just falling over. On the, you've seen some of these videos and, and the sports people and soccer players. I mean, it, young kids. I mean, lots of them. Wow, man. No, that's, that's exactly what's happening. Wow. And the thing that we've seen, and I've been a part of working with the U.S. Freedom Flyers group for some time now, because... Uh, 
Well, they initially formed to try to deal with the FAA uh, and the airlines oh. uh, regarding being forced to get vaccinated and so many pilots uh, being fired because they wouldn't vaccinate. And then so many pilots did get vaccinated and so I think some 80 percent more or less. And now they're seeing not only due to sick pilots, but due to retired pilots, a substantial pilot shortage. Now, this is the kicker. In 2021, the FAA regulations said this interval on your EKG called the PR interval, that's the normal range, which is what it's been for 100 years by everybody. Mm -hmm. Then the FAA on its own accord a year later, expanded that and said, no, now the PR interval is this long and this will be accepted as, uh, if not normal, not requiring increased cardiology workup. Why would they do that? They would only do that if they're seeing a substantially increased numbers of this interval starting to expand all on its own in the middle of a pandemic and where a lot of people have been vaccinated. Wow. Now this is especially of concern because when you're dealing with the cells in the heart that are involved, the conduction system, which is what's involved here, these cells are also, all the cells of the heart, including the conduction system are very electrically active. Duct heartbeats, they conduct an electrical spark throughout the heart so that it can contract. This also means that when they are inflamed, inflammation, itis, Mm -hmm. they have decreased electrical stability, meaning that they can spark an extra beat or an arrhythmia that can be minor or it can be major and fatal, the whole range. What precipitates that? What precipitates that or makes it more likely to happen is when you have a little bit, not a large amount, of low-grade myocarditis inflammation in these particular areas and cells of the heart, and you get a sudden adrenaline surge, like when you're in the middle of a soccer field mm-hmm. running maximal, or when you're in the cockpit and an emergency hits, okay, you have the adrenaline surge just like that. So. These are the type of things that are right now getting swept under the carpet, and I don't know how long the FAA can go on uh, claiming that as though they are medical authorities that this is okay because we have the data. In 2009, a Harvard study on a large population, the Framingham population over a 30-year period, did long-term analysis of the outcomes of people who had slightly, not massively, slightly prolonged PR intervals, and they showed a twofold increase in atrial fibrillation. They showed a threefold increase in severe enough heart rate conduction problems to require a pacemaker and a 50% increase in death from all causes. Now, this was in PR intervals lengthening before the pandemic. How much worse would this data be for the prolonged PR intervals that have occurred due to and during the pandemic, undoubtedly due largely to spike protein 
And I would agree with you most commonly from vaccinations. So uh, the FAA, I mean, they've, uh, you know, I got to say this. I'm not clairvoyant, but I saw what the the airlines were doing several years ago. And I said, my God, they're forcing them all to get vaccinated. And this can't be good in the long term. Uh, There was already, to my knowledge, enough side effects taking place that uh, you 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 shouldn't be taking risks like that with uh, with people who have so many other people's lives depend on. Mm. So this is a big problem now. PR intervals. Uh, explain to us what that is. That must be on the sure. cardiograph. When you when you start the spark in the right atrium, mm-hmm. it conducts through the atrium to get to the middle of the heart called the AV node. That period of time that it takes to do that is the PR interval. It should be 0.12 to 0.2 seconds, mm-hmm. okay? 120 to 200 milliseconds. And then that part of the conduction system rapidly disseminates the heart, uh, the, the electrical sparks so that the heart contracts simultaneously, synchronously. Well, when you start messing with that timing, when you start making that timing go longer and longer, and also start getting problems with inflammation in the conduction system itself, then you can have the whole variety of problems that I just told you can happen. Uh, They even have an increased incidence of heart failure in these patients. Now, I wanna say this does not mean that a pilot or potential prospective pilot should be grounded because his PR interval is prolonged but it absolutely should mandate a minimum of increased cardiological workup, a Holter monitor, a stress test, okay? And the blood tests should be absolutely normal. The troponin level that indicates any degree of ongoing inflammation in the heart should be completely normal. And the D-dimer test, which indicates any increased blood clotting due to the spike protein should be completely normal. But so if you get those tests normal and you pass the other tests, well, there's no problem flying. But to me, the FAA has been so negligent for so long. I didn't realize until a month ago when I got together with this group, me, a stupid cardiologist, just thinking the (laughs) FAA had a concern about the heart. I mean, What's still the most common cause of sudden death in a 50, 55-year-old male, which is sort of the prototypical pilot? A sudden heart attack with no warning signs, okay? That's it. Nothing else comes close. And so I always thought that absolutely every pilot gets an exercise stress test to see that they can increase their heart rate, increase their blood pressure, and show a completely normal response to the EKG which is a good assurance that you don't have any significant blockages getting ready to cause a heart attack. I mean, normal people, regular people get this when they go see their doctor. I just couldn't believe the pilots weren't getting it. All the pilots have required throughout the ages is an electrocardiogram. Hmm. And all an electrocardiogram does is a snapshot. It tells you if you've had a big heart attack in the past, but if it's normal, it has no predictive value at all as to whether or not you're going to have a heart attack in the future because you could have advanced blockages, but if they haven't blocked off yet, the tracing is just an indication of how healthy is the heart muscle right now. Doesn't mean 
that the blood vessel can't block off and cause a heart attack a day after you get that EKG. So, uh, I mean, that layered on top of all these other things, I just could not believe how, well, at the very least and nicest, how ill-informed the FAA has been. But this is pretty hard, especially now, because we're getting this word out, we and other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's even getting some national news coverage. The FAA needs to show right away that, okay, we're concerned about this and do something. Instead, they're just like, so far, so far, putting up a brick wall and, and getting other people to say, oh, well, this isn't important, this out of the other but they don't have anybody that's coming along and saying, why is this Harvard study wrong? Tell me why this Harvard study is wrong. Tell me why you took on your own initiative a normal range on a cardiogram test and you completely took away the input of the cardiologists and internists in the country and said, well, no, that may have been normal for 100 years, but this is normal now. It's amazing that this could go on with these. Yes, it is. With these, I think they're called non-government organizations, NGOs, aren't they? NGOs. Yeah, they're yeah. NGOs. They're, they're these, these pseudo-government, I think they're just separate corporations. That No, they're NGOs, but they're more government than anything else. Yeah, I mean, right. whatever you want to call them, they're still pretty much government. <laughs> like CDC and all of them, NIH, sure. NIH and all of them. They seem to get away with doing whatever they want, though, unless it's amazing. Um, And then what do we have just now? We just had yesterday Southwest Airlines saying they want to decrease the required number of hours for a pilot to fly from 1,000 down to 500 before becoming uh, licensed and qualified. I mean, everything is cut back, cut back, cut back. Also, a number of the airlines have been lobbying the FAA pretty vigorously, that is my understanding. Uh, They want the FAA, the airlines, some of them at least, to allow one pilot per plane. Really? Now imagine how catastrophic that would be. Yeah, somebody has a heart. Especially in this setting. Because it was just on Tucker Carlson a few nights ago, the uh, I forgot what airline he was with, uh, a, a pilot named Snow, who flew from uh, Denver to uh, I think Dallas, and after the plane landed, got into the the area where you board, uh, where you deplane. Uh, like six minutes after that, he 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 stands up and collapses and needs to be resuscitated. Whoa. Now, don't think for a second, too, that the co-pilot is going to automatically take care of everything just fine if he witnesses the pilot die next to him. No, it doesn't work that way. Or or if not just frankly die, sort of have start having funny symptoms, this out of the other. There's still a military-like pecking order there where the captain pretty much needs to say to the co-pilot, you take over. And even if the co-pilot eventually realizes that's what he or she needs to do, you're still losing valuable time. 
especially if you're in the process of takeoff or landing, where where microseconds can count, much less seconds. Yes, sir. Here's an, a good email from Leslie. Thanks for having Dr. Levy on. I have two questions. Can he explain to us what I'm seeing with all of these soccer players, footballs, and all of the athletes just falling over? I mean, what's going on? And does he have any idea of how many deaths have been caused by these vaccines? Well, as far as the soccer players go, it's close to a thousand now that have either dropped dead on the field or collapsed and been resuscitated. And this is what I was saying earlier. If you talk to anybody uh, in professional sports or in the soccer business before 2000, this probably happened at the most once every 10 or 15 years. Hmm. Now we have a thousand of them. There's no question in my mind that this is low grade, as we were just talking about, myocarditis, especially in the conduction system, part of the heart. And you don't see these players, to my knowledge, dropping dead or collapsing on the sideline where they're relaxed, Hmm. adrenaline level is down, Mm -hmm. it's always at the peak of exercise or right after it, and we can think of the Buffalo Bills player, peak of exercise or right after it, where suddenly the arrhythmia kicks in after the adrenaline hits this inflamed area in the heart, and then it's like gasoline on a smoldering coal. Then you just explode into an arrhythmia, which you either pretty much uh, die from or survive one way or another, depending on on, uh, your relationship with your maker, I suppose. So, uh, once again, to the adrenaline, but the, so the heart just locks up, Dr. Levy? It just stops? It just... That locks up. It's, uh, you have to have a normal, regular heartbeat, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. When you get irregular arrhythmias, and the worst one is ventricular fibrillation, where everything is, and then the heart starts doing this. It can't pump anymore, and you collapse immediately, and unless you get the paddles to bring yourself back into a synchronized rhythm, you're dead. Wow. Does this spike protein have any effect on the arteries themselves supplying blood to the heart? Do we know it? Absolutely. Oh, it Absolutely. does. Absolutely. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. No. That's part of the deal. I mean, so that's part of it. That's the double. That's the double whammy part of it. You wow. not only are attacking the heart muscle itself, much of the time you're also causing microclotting and increased coagulability in the small vessels of the heart. Which the less the less blood you get to a tissue, the worse off you are. Right. A lot of folks are writing about even some connections with cancer and and things. It's very troubling because two or three years from now, we'll never know the connections of these things. We'll never we'll never draw the lines to 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 say, well, this cancer or this or that was also part and parcel of the spike protein. We we'd have no way of knowing, right? Well, I mean, it's kind of like if. <laughs> If a flood enters your house and you notice your arm is wet, there's mm-hmm. a relationship to the fact that the flood came into your house. Okay, so I mean, uh, it, it's incredible the, the numbers of occasions where quote unquote modern medicine doesn't even allow the usage of simple logic and common sense. Uh, they'll do so many things that are not founded and based on studies. And the moment you wanna do something that turns out is highly effective, they say, well, you can't use that. You don't have a long-term study. Mm-hmm. I mean, the scientific hypocrisy, and in my opinion, almost pure evil is just hard to measure. Yes, sir. 
Good morning, Patrick. Please ask Dr. Levy if ivermectin kills the spike proteins. If not, what does? Ivermectin in the literature and uh, in the clinical studies is highly effective in uh, helping people resolve COVID. Uh, it affects both, as I recall, uh, it helps inactivate the virus itself. It helps block the binding of the spike protein uh, to the receptor, which allows the pathological agent to get inside the cell. But bottom line is, yes, it's an extremely effective drug, and it's just absolutely appalling the number of physicians who have been have just been destroyed by trying to do the right thing for their patients and being told they're not allowed to prescribe ivermectin, yes, sir. a drug that's been around for 80 years, very safe, hundreds of millions to billions of doses. So, so no, ivermectin is a phenomenal drug. Early on, they tried to uh, belittle it, you know, by calling it a, a horse, horse drug and this horse, sort of thing. You know, so, I mean, it, it, and who cares? It's all animals. You think you don't think we share a lot of biochemistry anyway? I mean, uh, you, you've got a, a horse mitochondria and a human mitochondria. Uh, if they're not identical, they're pretty close. Hmm. Is it an anti-parasite thing? It's also that. Mm -hmm. It's also that. That's yes. why they use it around the world in Africa and things like that. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's just more common use. And, of course, the hydroxychloroquine faced a similar fate as the ivermectin, uh, even though it's been used for 80 to 100 years on uh, uh, lupus patients and many other situations like that, yes. Uh, Tony wants to know... Um, in your book, Curing the Incurable, how were you identifying the viruses you describe? Was this done by a lab test or the list of symptoms? Well, most of it is in vitro studies. So they have different isolates of different viruses and pathogens, and, and they, test the virus, they test the ability of vitamin C to either inactivate them or kill them. Depends on how you want to uh, define a target like that and there's a large number of acute clinical viral syndromes or syndromes with something they call viruses like i said right. i don't really care about how you want to label it but uh, it knocks out the infective agent that causes the syndrome of measles of mumps of chicken pox etc mm -hmm. uh george wants to know has dr levy seen cases where people with just one or two vaccines then come up with issues two or three years later. Of course, we haven't had two or three years. No, I just, uh, but, but I mean, we're already seeing large numbers of people uh, go into chronic syndromes mm. after their vaccinations. I mean, so uh, no doubt it's going to become, I'm sad to say, much worse before it gets better. Right, and can you talk a little bit about the timing, why it would take a while for the body? How, how would that work if, say, you get a one or two injections and then maybe a year later something can happen? You could experience symptoms? Well, with toxins in general, toxin effects are cumulative. And, mm. and when you stay yeah. below a certain level <clears throat> and your immune system can cope with it on a daily basis, you can be seemingly quote-unquote normal 
And then when somewhere down the road you get hit with another large toxic stress, the cumulative effect of the two or more together uh, can then cause cause problems that you didn't see earlier uh, with a close temporal association mm -hmm. to the first exposure. Is there actual evidence that you uh, can look at and see that there's more juice, if you were, more spark, more spike protein in these boosters? Are they? Is there science behind that? Well, that's a good question. I they they talk about concentration of the shots, mm -hmm. and my understanding is there's a higher concentration in most of the booster shots but i'm i'm not in a position to uh -huh. to say this, to say that with any certainty but the problem there is is again cumulative even if what even if it wasn't in an increased concentration in the booster it's still an added dose of spike protein when presumably your body is already coping with the amount of spike protein that was present in the first one or two injections mm. So, I mean, it's like it's like anything else. So, you know, you can you can drink you can drink a sip of a poison and do perfectly fine. And if you have a glass full, you drop dead. Okay, so everything is dose related, just about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and is there really talk where these people controlling this this whole agenda want people to get a a a COVID thing? shot every once a year similar to flu i mean is that well that's that's i'm reading the same sources wow. you have and, wow. and yeah that's that, that appears to be wow the game plan for some people whether it happens or not we'll see i mean right yeah it's i mean how can you make the argument though that this okay particular virus is if, if it exists then it's just going to be around more than all the other viruses i mean it's not even logical the, what they're trying to sell to me, it isn't. What am I missing here? I mean, well, a large amount of literature is being ignored right now that pretty much shows more people have died, certainly suggests more people have right. died because of the vaccination than have been saved by it. Right. Okay, so uh, there's well, when's the last time a CDC official has gotten on and discussed a paper? No, they just come out and issue an edict, issue an opinion, this, that, or the other. So uh, when you have the bully pulpit, you don't have to explain yourself, okay? And so many people, let me just say this. I, I want to make this clear. Okay. I don't want to make it sound like I'm saying everybody involved in promoting the vaccine, governmental rise is evil or anything like that. I can only tell you that, as Mark Twain said, hmm. You can fool anybody, but you can't convince anybody they have been fooled. And the ability, the desire to save face is just stronger than anything I've ever seen in my life. I, hmm. they, you, you, you see people, I mean, family members are dying around them and, and they don't want to acknowledge that there's a good chance it was a vaccine. They just rule it out. Uh, they have news people in the news media dropping dead or passing out on camera, on camera and this sort of thing. So, you know, I mean, the amount of denial, the amount of I can't conceive of admitting I'm wrong. That's why there's nobody that I despise more than Paul Offit. But I got to say, I have begrudgingly a little bit of admiration for him now 
to stop dead in his pro-vaccine tracks and say, wait a second, write a letter to the New England Journal and say, we don't have the data to show that this is really safe for kids and we need to stop and shut down the immunizations of this for children. So a little bit of admiration. So, but not everybody's like that. Most of the people in his position, once they adopt that official stance, they will bounce any fact off of them yeah, dying without day. a second thought. Yeah. I mean, they, their, their personal integrity and their personal uh, conviction of their intelligence and their self-worth as everything else is wedding into sticking to one narrative, hell come what, uh, whatever, uh, whatever mm-hmm. comes. Yes, yeah. sir. Uh, this is Patrick Timponi with Dr. Thomas Levy. His website is peakenergy.com. Here's one for you. Uh, Suzanne, thanks for having Dr. Levy on the show. We've been reading all of his books recently and implementing more vitamin C in our to our lives. Here's a question. My teenage son has been uh, battling topical steroid withdrawal for the last 16 months. We found that high-dose oral vitamin C has helped tremendously so far, he takes 12,000 milligrams of ascorbic acid per day. Can Dr. Levy explain what is happening with his TSW and how it relates to oxidative stress and mineral deficiencies, and how does vitamin C help with this condition? Do you understand? Well, that's a mouthful. What I will say okay. is, and this is one of the primary premises of our protocol mm-hmm. that we're putting together for long-haul COVID and post-vaccine damaged individuals is that the primary role of corticosteroids is to put vitamin C inside the cell. What have they been trying to say for a long time? They say the most potent anti-inflammatory agents on the planet are prescription corticosteroids, prednisone, Mm -hmm. dexamethasone, blah, blah, blah. Well, the true most potent anti-inflammatory agent there is, is vitamin C. Remember, inflammation means nothing more than oxidation. So the more you have oxidation, the less vitamin C you have present. The more you can bring vitamin C and new electrons in, the more you cool inflammation off. So the only reason steroids are really considered to be such premier anti-inflammatory agents is because their role is to push the true anti-inflammatory agent, vitamin C, inside the cell. Oh, that's pretty interesting. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. And I want to say this, okay? Hmm. I mean, you really want to avoid prednisone. You want to avoid any of the prescription synthetic corticosteroids. The one that I talk about in my papers and everything is hydrocortisone. Hydrocortisone is the same molecule as cortisol. Cortisol is synthesized and secreted by your adrenal gland. So that is your natural corticosteroid. And using it interchangeably with the other synthesized corticosteroids is is apples and oranges, okay? Totally different things. You keep yourself under a certain dose range. Your adrenal makes less. You don't have any long-term steroid problems at all. So and that's all going into explanation in the papers. But uh, hydrocortisone used properly is long-term safe. Uh, but just remember the reason that corticosteroids do their good 
is because at least in the short term, mm. they push vitamin C in the cell. And then you don't have a lot of vitamin C left circulating around. Then all that's left for them to do is cause side effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a second part of her question. Can you recommend any, any other minerals or vitamins that would help him heal this this uh, her son she was talking about yeah, send an email and I, and I have the articles and the books and there uh, all those recommendations oh, are cool. in there um, and your email is t-e-levy-m-d at yahoo.com t-e-l-e-v-y-m-d at yahoo.com yahoo.com um, she had a final question P.S. would he be a good candidate for vitamin C infusions this person absolutely absolutely could you ever do those and cause harm if you didn't need it? I mean, like you did a vitamin I don't know how. I mean, I say it that way because, yeah. uh, you know, if you do anything to 100 million people, things aren't always going to turn out well. But I, sure. vitamin, vitamin C, it's like saying when people say, can you take too much vitamin C? I like to say, can you eat too much quality organic food? Okay, vitamin C is cellular nutrition, mm-hmm. period. Okay, so there's never been defined a dose of vitamin C above which is considered to be toxic, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, George, another George, how can you take vitamin C without uh, disrupting the bowels uh, greatly? Okay, so people have this bowel tolerance thing with oral vitamin C, right? Mm -hmm. What's the deal there? What's what's that about? Well, you... um, Liposome encapsulated forms tend not to do that. Oh, the liposome also, on the packages, right? Those, uh, all, all the different liposome encapsulated forms that, that I know of. I mean, again, these are general suggestions, general observations. And then the other forms of vitamin C, which is uh, sodium ascorbate. Uh, a lot of times people do well if they, ju- if they take, let's say, like the teaspoon and they get the ball problem, then, the, then one of the other ways to do is take the teaspoon and dissolve it in a glass of water or juice, preferably, and you just sip on that over the course of uh, an hour or so, and pretty much most of the time you get all of that, most of that well-absorbed, much more so than when you take a big dose all at once and you don't have the bile effect. So hmm. uh, everybody needs to work on this as, as best they can, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, does, does fresh orange juice have a lot of vitamin C that's absorbable? Not that much. Not that much. I mean, not that much. No. Mm-hmm. Frank wants to know, with high blood pressure is measurable, let's see, with high blood pressure is measurable troponin being produced. Uh, do you know what he's asking here? 186 over 111 average blood pressure. Do you get what he's asking here? With high blood pressure is measurable. There are very few conditions that cause any release of troponin other than damage to the heart. Okay. I say it that way because it's not 100%. But uh, but no, if you have a consistently elevated troponin, you've got something going on with your heart. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that blood pressure is much too high. Much too high. Yeah. Much too high. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people that, that are... Uh, into vitamins and minerals and natural products and anti-prescription drugs, they go too far, okay? Um, you can't resolve everything with these natural therapies. And when people think that they, just because they measure one normal blood pressure out the day that they got it under, under control, they're not. 
I mean, calcium channel blockers, agents, and a number of other things help control blood pressure and don't have any significant toxicity. But uh, blood pressure uniquely is one of the few conditions that I know of where you can take the prescription drugs and get it under control and do yourself a lot of good in terms of decreasing your chances of heart attack, increasing the years in your life. But uh, but you can't ignore that. Uh, I mean, some people are just so anti-prescription drug that that they feel like they've lost the war mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if they end up taking one. And it's not good to take that attitude because there are not a large number, but there are some things where you need prescription drugs uh, that are just not going to be able to be taken care of with uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, E, magnesium, and everything else, as important as those things but, are. But could, couldn't there always be lifestyle changes with diet, exercise, water, hydration? Not for a blood pressure like that. No, not for a blood not pressure for that, like that. that high. No, 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 no. Too high, right. really. And usually that starts in the mouth. So we're back again. Really? To canals and infected teeth and infected tonsils. And that's all in the book, Hidden Epidemic, which I also offer the download for free. You have a download for free on your website, Hidden Epidemic. No, not on the website. If they send an email. Okay, good. So these mouth infections, um, they're not just root canals, right? We're talking about other infections in the mouth. Lots of other infections, And these, these cause all kinds of things. Wow. In many, in many ways, they're more toxic than root canals because they're literally asymptomatic abscesses at the tip of the tooth. And what happens every time you chew? Wow. Squeeze it, squeeze it out into the lymph and the blood. Wow. Amazing. Are these, these um, cavitations part of that in, that, in the bone there, the cavitations? Yeah, that's part of the process. That's all part of the overall dental toxicity, yeah. Yeah. And folks, as you know, we, we've done a lot of shows on dental work with Dr. Nunley and other people, my dentist, but it's real important to find a good one. Hey, Dr. Levy, really have somebody who knows what they're doing because there's, there's, there's many dentists there's that call themselves biological dentists and just because it's a good name, right? You have to be careful. I like to say there's nothing worse for your health than a mainstream dentist and there's nothing better for your health than a good biological dentist. Right. Somebody that really knows what they're doing. Right. couple more and then we'll let you go. I recently had a relative die in the hospital, says Penny, from sepsis due to bed sore developed in the ICU. I advocated for Dr. Merrick's vitamin C, thiamine, and cortisol protocol, Mm -hmm. but they refused. Isn't it a crime that they don't use vitamin C for sepsis? Yes, that's what I said at the beginning you of the said, show. You said that. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Wow. These people are dying needlessly. And uh, the other thing that needs to be done is the doctor needs to be sued. Don't sue the hospital. Don't sue the wow. nursing staff. Don't sue anybody else. Sue the doctor. Doctors have this herd mentality that they hide behind. You need to make it clear when you have an individual like that and you need to have a lawyer with you say, doctor, yeah. if you don't do this, we're going to sue. And we're going to sue you. Well, okay. that'll get them going. <laughs> well, that's, 
<laughs> you, can't, you can't be shy at a time like that. Wow. See, I thought they had cover for some reason. Well, I, well, it's just the vaccine people. They do have cover, don't they, with some law that during the Clinton... Well, the pharmaceuticals, pharmaceuticals have cover. Yeah, right. They're covered. But not doctors. No. No. Would oral consumption of liposomal vitamin C work similarly to recover from the COVID jabs as intravenous vitamin C, albeit perhaps slower? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you got to be persistent with it and uh, uh, not be shy about the dosage uh, unless you're having just intolerable diarrhea or bowel problems, you know, work your dose up. I mean, some people take not necessarily the liposome encapsulated, but they'll take 30, 40, 50 grams a day. Wow. Okay, but but everybody's different. Some people will get the diarrhea with two grams. Mm -hmm. Others will... I'll get the diarrhea after 50 grams. Hmm. And it has to do, as I said, with how you spread it out and taking a little at a time is not only the best way to take it, you know, if you're in a situation to sip on a drink most of the day, uh, but uh, uh, more gets absorbed. And and the more that gets absorbed, the less makes its way to the bowel. It's the physical presence of unabsorbed vitamin C in the bowel that pulls fluid into it and causes the hmm. the the bile-induced diarrhea. Is that an indication that the body didn't need it or just didn't absorb it? It's a soft indication soft. that the body soft indication. Doesn't need yes. it. Huh. We don't make our own vitamin C, right? Is that the only? No. Huh. no. Do dogs make their own? Yeah, at about 10% the rate of other animals. Goats make a lot. So huh. there's a lot of, most of the animals make some. But none of them all as efficiently as others. Hmm, interesting. Here's an email from Steve, and that will be our final one. Studies have detected a lot of venom peptides in COVID patients. Does Dr. Levy had commentary about the role of envir- environmation of, what is that word? Envenomation of COVID symptoms. If so, do any of his protocol utilize the approach to neutralize bind and excrete these peptides well i don't know what he's talking about but you probably do all venoms are toxins so we still come back to the big umbrella term toxin and vitamin c will neutralize so far has been shown to neutralize any toxin against which it's come involved with uh now it's a different thing for different peptides, different toxins as to how effectively the toxin gets broken down and metabolized and eventually eliminated from the body. So I can't tell you off the top of my head how quickly or easily uh, a snake bite or venom or other type of venom would get eliminated from the body. But we know from Dr. Klenner's work many years ago with just, shall I say, simple snake bite Mm-hmm. Uh, intoxications and spider and other things like that. Vitamin C knocks it out completely with a rapid restoration to health. Yes. I'll be done. I'll be done. Oh, I lied. One more. Uh, Julie, Patrick, your story about your eye was very interesting. Uh, can Dr. Levy explain what could have caused your eye to go blurry? And I did go to a retina guy and they just said I had a blood clot back there. They looked at it, you know, after I did the vitamin C thing. And what causes blood clots? Oxidative stress. Oxidative what causes stress. oxidative stress 
infections. Infections. And what's and, and what's millimeters away from your eye, your mouth. So the root canal so has got all this stuff going on, infected. right? It's got yes. all this stuff going on, and that causes oxidative stress, and it, right. and it's tied in with the meridian on the on the eye, and then that causes the blood to clot, which causes the the the, the venial central venial well, thing. One of the many things, yes, yeah. right. Wow, they called it a central venial occlusion. I think that's what the retina guy called it, where it just, it, I guess, it clots the blood trying to help it. Is what it doing? What it does? I don't know if we can say it's trying I, to help it, but the blood clots. Yes. The blood clots, and then uh-huh. and then you can lose them. Um, it's amazing, though. After those, all those IVs, it hasn't gotten any worse in twenty years. Isn't that interesting? That's good. It hasn't Wonderful. gotten any worse in twenty years. You know, yeah, it's like twenty sixty something like that. But I can do it. Well, Doctor Levy, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate. It. Give your email again if somebody wants to email you. Okay, T E Levy M D. That's T-E-L-E-V as in Victor, Y. T-E-L-E-V, M-D, at yahoo.com. All right, sir. Thank you so much for all your time, and we appreciate you being on the show. Good work. Thank you. Take care. Take care of you. Dr. Thomas Levy, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. Cool, good stuff, huh? Yeah, uh, you know, get that hidden infection book, because uh, Curing the Incurable um, are, are hidden infections. If you... If you are new to our uh, network here, um, you can look into our um, our archives, and you're going to find all kinds of uh, shows on um, the dental issues. Uh, we probably have 20, 30, I don't know, lots over the years. Um, um, it's really important. Uh, so, so few people really understand uh, these root canals, how dangerous they are, cavitations, which are um, infections. After they pull a tooth, they don't do it properly and cut out the ligament, and then the then you get these holes in your in your in your gums, and it's just as bad as a root canal. And these have been tied into all kinds of things, breast cancer, all kinds of cancers. So it's really important to find a good biological dentist, a really good one. Um, I think they have a they have a website that you can you can Google up a biological dentist. You'll find it, Association of Biological, and you can find one in your in your area. And do check them out though, and make sure that uh, they've got some good good credentials and know what they're doing. And, you know, maybe even go visit them first. I would even go visit a new dentist first. Go to their office and check the place out. Talk to the people, you know, the, the staff, and um, ask them questions. You know, how do they do this? And do they have ozone? Do they have the uh, cone beam um, uh, x-ray thing so they can really look and see cavitations and root canals and uh, what their procedure is for root canals? Do they do mercury fillings? You know, really ask them a lot of good questions. So we have a plethora of um, information shows on our website, One Radio Network. Put in dental, you can put in dental issues, root canals. Um, a good place to start would be Dr. Um, let's see, where would you start? I would say Dr. Nunley. That's my dentist in Marble Falls. He's one of the best ones. 
Stuart Nunley. You can put his name in the um, search function and um, see some of his shows or look at them and listen. Okay, we're going to be talking to an um, interesting fellow on the West Coast about freedom and what's going on in this country. And he'll have some, probably some things that'll curl your hair when it comes to the law and the courts and uh, who these people are that are doing things and people like the FAA, do they actually have jurisdiction? Over, I don't know, crazy stuff, but we'll have fun. And we'll do it in about half an hour. Take a little break here, have a cup of tea, and then we'll be back. So take care. This is Patrick Timpone. We will see you in 30, 30 minutes. Stay right there. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.